Today is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. On January 13, 1984, President Ronald Reagan issued a proclamation designing January 27 as the first National Sanctity of Human Life Day. From that day, it changed into a Sunday, into the, I don't know what Sunday is this, I think it's the third Sunday, the third Sunday of, of January, because they wanted to be on Sunday is the time where most Christians gather up to pray together. And I have a, a quick prayer that I am going to ask you to stand up. And as I read it, you pray with me in your heart. You agree. Thank you, Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, you are creator of all and giver of life. You have created humankind in your image to reflect your glory to the world. And we praise you for the work your hands have done. In this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we mourn the many of your precious sons and daughters that have lost their lives too soon. We grieve their absence today and every day. We are broken people and we have sinned against you in so many ways. And we pray that today will be a day of repentance and forgiveness. We humbly come before you knowing that all of us had fallen short of your glory. And we ask that you will forgive us of our sins through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Restore us to the right relationship with you. Open our eyes and our hearts and our minds as we seek to serve you and glorify your thoughts, to glorify you, sorry, to glorify you through our love for one another. Transform us into new creations. We may truly be your hands and feet in a world that needs you so much. Serving others like Jesus came to serve. Loving others like we are to love ourselves. Jesus, you made a way for us where there seemed to be no way. We pray today that you will breathe new life unto us. We pray that you will increase our love and compassion for our neighbors, no matter their age, race, ability, background, or need. We pray we will be people whose hearts echo your own heart for your people. Be our strength and our guidance, Holy Spirit. Help us to be champions of life. Cleanse our hearts and give light to our minds so we can not be deceived by the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We may stand for what you have taught us, and may we give you glory in everything that we do. We love you and praise you on this day and every day, Lord. Thank you for the gift of life. Help us to protect it and defend it in every way that we can. And I thank you, Lord, that today we can join countless others in churches all over the world that are crying out to you for the protection of human life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Maybe seated. <clears throat>
Well, from what I know this morning is that uh, if, we, uh, if, if you're planning a trip somewhere, maybe you get Bishop Ron to plan it for you, and, uh, and uh, it'd be a lot more exciting, and, uh, and to, get to stay in places that you never thought you'd stay before. But, but I hope you have, and I know you have been praying for Ron, uh, Bishop Ron, and uh, as, as he's uh, been gone. We, um, and it's good, we weren't here last Sunday, but when Didi and I left a couple of weeks ago, I saw Pepe in the hospital, and, and uh, it's just great to be here. I heard you were here last Sunday, but it's just great to see you here this morning. And um, a few weeks ago, Bishop Ron told me that he may not be here today that there, he was supposed to fly in Saturday night. And he said, there's a possibility I won't be there Sunday. And he said, would you be ready? And I, Bishop Ron has asked me that before. And I go, and he's always showed up. So I go, yeah, I can, I can take care of that. No problem. And um, because I just had faith that he was going to be here. Well, as uh, most of you know, uh, last Last Saturday, we could go Saturday, uh, Dee and I were in uh, North Carolina and we uh, renewed our vows for our 50th wedding anniversary, stood in the same spot. In the <laughs> Thank you. It was tough. It was tough. It's been a tough 50 years, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Dee Dee's had it easy, but it's been tough. Um, <clears throat> And, uh, and it looks like I'll start all over again <laughs> with someone different. Uh, but, uh, and, and uh, Bill and Diane, they, they came over, and uh, uh, we weren't expecting any gifts, but I, I walked away with uh, five boxes of moon pies that day. So <laughs> it, was, it, was, uh, it was worth 50 years being married. <laughs> but, but anyway, after, after that, uh, my brother had uh, had broke his leg on uh, uh, New Year's Eve, and my brother is kind of a semi-Baptist, so he was sober. It wasn't because he was uh, drinking or anything, but he broke his leg, and and uh, then uh, his wife had uh, 12 inches of her intestines removed this past Tuesday. So Dee Dee and I have been over uh, in the mountains of Tennessee helping them. Uh, she had a, a setback yesterday and she's still in the hospital, but uh, um, I, I got my brother hooked on oatmeal because that's what I have and I cooked him oatmeal every morning and uh, brought his coffee to him and Didi cooked his, uh, our dinner at, at night and uh, we drove to Knoxville, which is an hour away, uh, so he could be with her and uh, his wife. And so I just, you know, all week long I just knew Ron... Ron is going to be there, and Friday night I get the word that uh, he's he's not going to be there. So we we came home yesterday, and last night I had a sermon. and And if we hadn't had so many announcements this morning, we would have been done with the sermon. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so don't blame me for being you know it's almost eleven o'clock, and uh, <laughs> so it's not my fault. Not my fault. Well, when. When I was a uh, 
I was a free will Baptist pastor. You know, we started a church here in, in Gainesville a number of years ago. And uh, our church is a part of an association of free will Baptist churches around northern Florida. And we would meet twice a year. Uh, and the first one I ever went to, uh, I finally got word from the mission director saying, you better start going to these things. And I go, oh, okay. So uh, went, it was somewhere in Jacksonville. All I remember is that you drove down a dirt road and, and there was uh, the church. Of course, I was just got there as the service started. And so I would walk in and uh, the back row was completely empty. And, you know, people are standing and singing and the choir's up there singing. And, and uh, so I'm just kind of looking around. And when we sat down, uh, I uh, just looked at the program because I was interested in when lunch was going to take place and uh, if we could just get through all this business and preaching and all this kind of stuff to get uh, to lunch. And so they, they were introducing the speaker uh, and, uh, and then I saw what I, I, I couldn't believe. Uh, how many of you grew up Baptist and Pentecostal and Church of God and all that stuff? You know, and... In your baptistry, at your church, probably, it's not like the Anglican church, we, we believe in getting them all under, you know? And so we have a nice baptistry in the front. We can't pull it around, push it around, and, and have a baptism. But we have it up front. But the scene behind the baptistry, do you remember? Uh, it was usually a cleaned up version of the Jordan River, and rolling hills and beautiful clouds and, and a blue sky and maybe a dove coming down out of the sky. And, and during those long sermons, he would uh, kind of look back at that and, and be reminded of being in the mountains or being you know, at the beach or somewhere enjoying life, not listening to a sermon. That was, sort of a, those, that, that was, that was important. Well, when I looked up and saw and saw what I saw. There was the rolling hills, there was the blue sky, there was the dove coming down. But they had, whoever painted, I, there was Jesus. They painted Jesus. And it wasn't a Jesus I'd ever seen before. It wasn't some Italian boy along with long hair and, you know, looking off in the sky. This Jesus had the biggest eyes I'd ever seen. I mean, he's, these big eyes had the biggest grin I had ever seen. Big white teeth. And, and he's extending his hand out toward you. <laughs> and I look at that and I go, oh my goodness, I can't look. I can't look. And I'd put my head down. And, uh, and then I'd look up and I'd try to look at the preacher. But you can't look at the preacher. There's Jesus smiling at you. He's got his hand out there. And, and I would move down the empty pew about halfway and the eyes would follow you, you know, and all this stuff. And, and uh, it was the most, I, I could not wait to get out of there. I mean, it was, I, I hate to use the word creepy, because people went to this church, they saw a smiling Jesus every single Sunday. I guess they were used to him. But even in my mind, I can still see the teeth. You know, it's just, <laughs> I wish I hadn't brought it up. But, um, but you know, that is... That is what we do with Jesus. You know, we, we make Jesus what we think Jesus ought to be. Ought to, we make Jesus what we think He ought to look like. And we, 
and I hate to say it, I, I, I try not to do it, but I, every now and then I catch myself doing it. I, I like to pull out my Jesus every now and then and hit someone over the head with my Jesus that I have. You know, we have our conservative Jesus. We have our liberal Jesus. We have our Republican and Democrat and Socialist Jesus. We have all of these Jesuses that we like to pull out and say, well, this is who Jesus is, and this is why you should be like Jesus. And, and we make Jesus into our own image because that's the Jesus we want. That's the Jesus we're comfortable with. And so if we need some money, well, we just go to Prosperity Jesus and we say the right things, do the right things, and Jesus will, will give us the, the money that we need because we're doing exactly what He says. If you need a parking spot in front of, uh, in front of the store, you go to Parking Lot Jesus. And you pray. And I've, you know, there's this one lady that I know that she says, every time I go to the, go to the mall, I, need a, I pray, Jesus, you open up a parking spot. And every single time, He opens up this parking spot right in front so I can just walk right in. So you go to parking lot, Jesus. We got all of these Jesus. And yet, when you come to the Gospel reading this morning, Mark tells us who the real Jesus is. It is amazing that for all the years that, that, that people have been Christians and they've heard the Gospel message, that they still continue to pull out their favorite Jesus to knock you over the head with because they say that's Jesus. Now, this Gospel reading this morning, and, and as we know in the Anglican Church, this is the second Sunday of Epiphany. The, the, the revealing of Jesus. Mark tells us who the real Jesus is. And as you read the book of Mark, or the Gospel of Mark, Mark isn't like Matthew and Luke and John. Mark, Mark uh, gives us a lot of action. So if you want the action-packed Jesus, you go to Mark. Because Mark's favorite word, and you find it, and it's a little foggy because of last night, I'm trying to figure out something to preach this morning. And so it's either 40 or 60 times in the, in the, in the book of uh, Mark, uh, he uses the word immediately. Because here, Jesus is healing someone, and immediately he's taken off somewhere else. And so it's hard to keep up with Jesus. You lose your breath trying to run after Jesus because he's just doing so many things, so many things are happening. And like the Gospel reading this morning, uh, in the King James Version, it says that when Jesus was baptized, He came straightway, or straightway after He came out of the water, the, the Spirit came. Straightway means immediately. John, uh, uh, Mark wants us to know that, that there were a lot of things going on and a lot of things that were happening around Jesus. But in these first 11 verses, He wants us to know who the real Jesus is why it's important for us to know who He is. Now, I could go through, and I won't, all of those 11 verses. I want to, I, I want to be very specific here this morning. In verse 11, verse 11 tells us who the real Jesus is. And perhaps today, maybe for the first time, you've, you'll, you'll consider who this Jesus is. Who He is and what He came to do. Because that's the most important thing about Jesus. And Mark makes it very clear to us. And so we have 
uh, in, in verse 11, the words of God. It is amazing that when God speaks in the New Testament, he always quotes the Old Testament. But here, there is this quote from the Old Testament, many, many verses of Scripture. And yet, as Jesus is baptized, it says that the, the heavens were open. They were ripped open, tore open in a, in a violent way, really, is, is what Mark is trying to get us to understand. That there was this, this violent thing that happened to get our attention to understand that, that this was something miraculous that has taken place. And the dove descends. And the words of God are spoken. Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, everything revolves around that. If you miss that verse, you miss who Jesus is and what He came to do. If you just skip over that verse and uh, that, uh, that quote or that saying of God and what He said about Jesus, uh, you miss the whole story. You, you miss the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't hear that, if you don't know that, if you don't believe that, you miss. You miss Jesus Christ. You can read the whole Bible. You can read all the stories of Jesus that you want. But if you miss that, you have missed the true meaning of Jesus. So God said that you are my son. Or in a technical way, in the original language, it says that you are the son of me. Now, John does, or Mark does, begin uh, his gospel by talking about, in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And we all know that the gospel means good news. It's the good news. Not the good news about you. It's not the good news about the, the Kansas City Chiefs going to win the Super Bowl. It's not the good news about any of that kind of stuff. It is the good news about Jesus Christ. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is the good news. Nothing else. No one else. It is Jesus the good news. It is Jesus who... The reason He is good news and the reason that the Gospel of Jesus Christ is, is, uh, is such good news is because it is at His baptism. It is Jesus who begins to restore all that has been lost since the Garden of Eden. Jesus didn't come to fix anything. He didn't come to fix you. He didn't come to fix your marriage. He didn't come to fix all the problems you have in the world. He came to restore he came to make all things new. You look at him in, in the book of Revelation, in verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 5. Behold, I make all things new. He came to restore. That's why, Jesus, or that's why God the Father says that you are my son, because you came to restore. And then Luke, then Mark, it's the lack of sleep. Mark, this is Mark, isn't it? Mark. Mark gives us a quote from uh, the Old Testament prophet Micah, uh, or Malachi, who is the last prophet. Uh, and and it's, it is a prophecy of one who is coming, who will prepare the way, or who will announce the coming of the kingdom of God. And then uh, in the, also Mark uses in verse 3, quotes uh, a phrase out of, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. And let me just uh, 
read those verses for you because in that verse, in those verses, you get the idea of what Mark is doing. He's wanting us to know that this isn't something that just happened suddenly. But this is something that was planned. This was something that, that had been ordained before the beginning of time. And so we read in Isaiah 40, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith our God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, for her welfare is accomplished, that her inquiry is pardoned, for she hath received the Lord's hand double for her sins. And the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places will be made plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And what Mark is doing is, is, is reminding us, telling us that there is a messenger that is coming, that is coming before the one who will restore all things. And how does Isaiah uh, tell us that it will be restored? What is his conception of restoration? It is the mountain shall be made flat. It is that the crooked road shall be made straight. There'll be a made. There'll be a way through the desert, through the wilderness. It is a time when when uh, we will know that the one who came to this earth is not the parking lot Jesus or not the Republican or Democrat Jesus. It is the one who came to restore our life and to restore this world. And anything less is not Jesus. God sends His Son immediately after He is baptized into the wilderness. And the wilderness is such a a great place in the Bible. It is the place where Israel for 40 years roamed around. And it was in those 40 years that they finally, finally decided it is the God who they would serve. They didn't do such a very hot job of it, but it was that place where God became very real to them. And we find John the Baptist in the wilderness. It is uh, in that place where the people of, uh, of uh, Israel, of, uh, especially Jerusalem, went out to, to hear the, the message of John the Baptist and as he was preparing the way for the coming of, of, of Christ. It is in the wilderness that took place. Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. They are not to find Himself. Not there to contemplate you know, what he was going to do for the next two or three years of his life. But he was there to face the forces, the, the ultimate forces of Satan and to overcome the forces of Satan in his humanity. It is the wilderness that is spoken of by the prophets of old. It says that this is the one who will go into the wilderness, who will come out of the wilderness, who will bring us out of the wilderness of our own lives. It is the one who came to restore. And that Jesus' baptism, the restoration that was prophesied and told about in the Old Testament begins. And it has been going on since then. The restoration of this world. But God the Father also said of Jesus in whom I am well pleased. And how is God the Father well pleased? It's a very strange way because... If you're well pleased with your kids, they had to do something, right? Yeah. 
My kids picked up their clothes. I am well pleased. You know? My kids used the car and put gas in it. I am well pleased. I had never said that, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, it, 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 uh, it can happen. Why was God well pleased? Because there would be a death on the cross. A strange way to be well pleased. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, it says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. And he shall bring forth the judgment in the Gentiles. From that point on, Isaiah begins to describe this, what we commonly call the suffering servant. Can, did, can you put up Isaiah chapter 53? I think, I think it's up. Okay, good. I thought instead of uh, hearing me stumble through all these verses along that I would love for you to read along with me of the suffering Savior. Because this really tells us in whom God is well pleased. So let's read this together, beginning in verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, spitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, all to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Yet He opened not up His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silence. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich of his death. Because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When he, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many or he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will dwell. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgression, in whom I am well pleased. Isaiah tells us, it would be the one that suffered. In whom I am well pleased will be the one who will suffer death. 
upon the cross. You know, I know we have many problems. We talk about our problems in our country, the problems around the world. But our biggest problem is not our lack of money. Our biggest problem is not our lack of education. Our biggest problem is sin. And it is why the one that is well pleased with God came to this earth. As N.T. Wright says, the reason, the problem with sin is that we have missed the mark. The mark of what it means to be fully human. Since the, the transgression of Adam and Eve and the fall of Adam, Adam and Eve, we have missed the mark. There is something that is missing in our life. We're not able to be fully human because we have had the, 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 the image of God in some way shattered in our life. And that's why it just can't be fixed and glued back together. It would take the death of someone to die on the cross. Because it is the cross that brings restoration. It is the cross that brings redemption. It is the cross that will bring the freedom that we need in life. And all that is sin has shattered and all that it has destroyed. It, uh, destroyed. it is restored in the cross of Jesus Christ. The third thing I want us to see is that word beloved. You are my beloved son. In Jewish thought and tradition, the word beloved is a word for the Messiah. And he was beloved because of the price that he had to pay. And the price that he would pay. You remember in... Genesis 22, the story of uh, Abraham. God tells Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your, your son, your only son, your beloved son. I want you to take Isaac and sacrifice him to me. Without question, Abraham gathers up the stuff to make a sacrifice and, or build an altar, and he goes. They go to the mountain, and there, we we heard this. We've seen the story. We've we've read the story. Heard the story many times that Abraham raises his knife to kill his son as a sacrifice, and the angel of the Lord stops. And it is there at that time that God provides the appropriate sacrifice. There was a ram that was caught in the and the thorns and the thistles off to the side, and they sacrificed the ram that day. But we get an idea because we are reminded of the beloved son of Abraham, that it is the beloved son of God the Father who pays the price. He provides the appropriate, the perfect sacrifice. I've heard and read where those who mock Christianity, some will say, well, you know, this is, this is how crazy your Christianity and your religion is. You, you, uh, you have God the Father who uh, uh, wants people to pay for their sins, and so what does He do? He gets His Son, and He beats His Son up, and, you know, kills Him. You know, what kind of... What kind of God do you serve that would kill his own son for something he didn't even do? There it just shows that 
a lack of understanding of what Christianity is and what we believe. It is uh, the fact that when God the Father sacrifices God the Son, that He sacrifices Himself. He's not sacrificing somebody else, but He is sacrificing Himself. He is God in the flesh. And so when you hear the cry of Christ on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is at that moment the very heart of God is being ripped to shreds as He sacrifices Himself for the sins of the whole world. It is a mystery that is too deep to understand that God would not spare Himself. Because He came to seek and to save the lost. And so on this second Sunday of Epiphany, that reveals to us the real Jesus. Not the social justice warrior, or the revolutionary, or the Savior of the American way. Not the uh, cage baby Jesus of the immigrants. It's not the... The meek and mild, it's not even the meek and mild Jesus that, that comes our way, but it is the Jesus who came, who is beloved of the Father. He's beloved, and God is well pleased with His Son because He will give of Himself completely in His death on the cross to bring our redemption. Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Anything less, anything less is not Jesus. Nothing less. We didn't read it this morning, but I'll close with the verses 12-15 through of Mark 1. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And as he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. Jesus is very specific. We all know what repentance is. That is, to change our mind. To walk in the different direction. What Jesus comes preaching to us 2,000 years ago is the same message that He comes today. Repent. Repent. Turn away from your false conceptions of Jesus Turn away from the Jesus you carry around in your, in your pocket to pull out when you think it's necessary to beat someone over the head with it. Repent of that Jesus and believe the Gospel. Believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus came to die for us and He is well beloved of the Father because He dies for us to give us freedom, to restore our lives, and to restore this world.
repent and believe today. Our Father, Your Word teaches us very clearly who Jesus is and what He came to do. I pray that we will reject the false Jesus of this world. The false Jesus of political parties, of, of uh, the feelings that we may have. The false Jesus that, that is our buddy that helps us out just when we need it. The, the spare tire Jesus. Father, forgive us. And help us to see that anytime we hear the word gospel, it is Jesus Christ. It is good news of Jesus Christ. Father, build us and strengthen us. And as we are gathered here this morning, not only do we consider ourselves uh, very fortunate to, rep to have already repented and believed, but I pray for those who are still struggling with who Jesus is. I pray that they will believe. Believe in the Gospel. Father, our hearts go out to Ken and, and Ron. Give them strength. Renew their spirits. Protect them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let your light so shine before all men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.